Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Yeah, you know, that is such an important question. Whenever we're talking to addicts, we have to really identify what their willingness level is. Because when there is a willingness level, it is so important to be able to hang tight with them and figure it all out. Hi, I'm Carol jurgensen Sheep, and I am glad that you're with us. One of the things that I know is that you probably are hurting right now. Something in your life isn't going well. Maybe you've just come clean with the addiction, or maybe things are not going as well as you'd like. Now, if you're one of the addicts that, boy, you so badly want this, but you don't know how to get it, then I'm going to ask you to hang tight because we're going to be talking about an a very specialized technique that one of our CSATs has learned, clients who seem to be relationally um, relationally having difficulty. Let's just say that. And when they're relationally having difficulty, they may have attachment issues. Attachment can happen from trauma in childhood, from neglect. Um, and, and it's a very intense experience that can cause real rupturing. You know, when we talk to partners, they have now experienced an attachment rupture because of what they thought they had, what they wanted to have, and what they fear they can't have. Well, so many men never had the connection they needed to get healthy. And so, you know, what do you need? What do you need to get healthy? Um, what, what relationships have not worked in your life? Do you have a, a mother that rejects you for being gay? Do you have a father that walked out on you as a child? Did you have siblings that bullied and abused you? I mean, these are all, I don't want to say common occurrences, but I will say that they happen and they happen with quite a bit of regularity. And so what do you need? What do you want? And what can you do 
to create healthier attachments. And that is what our CSAT, Erin Temple, is going to be talking about today. Mm-hmm. This should be interesting. I'm an EMDR therapist, and i got to tell you, I didn't know there was an attachment certification. Although Laura Purnell, the woman that he's trained with, I've, I've trained with her too on addiction out of Chicago. So I really can't wait to dialogue with him. So let me tell you a little bit about my life. I am so excited. I am eager to have this week done. And the reason why is I committed to having my book done by the 31st of October. And so I have been working like a banshee. Now, the truth of the matter is I have been working like a banshee. And um, I really, absolutely know that I will have it done. I thought I'd have it done yesterday. And then... You know what a writer does? You get it done, or almost done, and you think about three other chapters you need to include or three other ideas. And so you're working on making it better before it's even gotten finished. But that's okay because I know that it is going to be an incredible book. Oh, you want to know what that is, I'm sure. This book is about Irkham, and you've heard me talk about it before. It's the Early Recovery Couples Empathy Model. But I know that so many couples can't find the right therapist. They don't have the amount, you know, they don't have the money. They live in Africa, and there's nobody around that understands sex addiction or partner betrayal. And so I wanted this book to be for couples to begin to do this work, and if they've got a therapist, um, to have the therapist support them through the work. Now, the other thing I wanted, I'm starting a whole, um, what would I call it? I'm starting a whole situation, uh, a whole new wave of therapy. Well, it's not really therapy. It's early recovery couples work. I am starting this empathy model and early recovery couples work to get addicts and partners through the three stages of partner betrayal, and that is so important. And therapists don't know how to do it, and I do. So I said, okay, there's not anybody in the world that I know of that knows how to do this the way I do in part because I wrote Helper Heal, and so I've gotten so much feedback about that book. And and so I decided to combine the Helper Heal model with the IRCAM model, Early Recovery Couples Empathy model, and walk clients through the stages of relational repair. It's been amazing. I so love the idea of being able to um, put it in your hands to begin to do the work. Some of the, some of the exercises are from Help or Heal, but I've now adapted and adopted it in a way that serves the couple. So that's always a good thing, right? And if you're not a couple, you probably get sick of me talking about couples, but I, I, I know that that's where my heart is. But don't leave my podcast because of it. Because of it. And I got to tell you, I am going to start putting these videos, my podcast, on YouTube. You know, I was with three colleagues, or no, four colleagues, doing it on Friday. And I thought, you know, you should do that too, Carol. You need to do this so that you can reach out to your community um, visually, too. So I didn't know when I started today that I was going to do it, but I am interviewing Aaron Temple on Zoom. I find that what we don't talk over each other as much. So um, hopefully this episode will be on my YouTube channel. 
And maybe I'll even set up a separate subsidiary channel. I don't know. I don't even know if that word subsidiary works for that. But boy, it sounded official, didn't it? Um, so I'm really excited. My book will be done. You know, I'm leaning in, into retirement. I'm leaning right outside because I'm in Florida right now. And as soon as I'm done with this podcast, I've ended my day early, and I am going to the beach. <laughs> I'm going to do my walk on the beach. I already did my walk this morning. Um, but it's like it's time to relax a little bit. So what, what am I doing? I started the certification program. I'm writing a book, and then I'm going to relax. Do you think I can relax? That's the question. I relax. What do you think? (laughs) You know, the truth of the matter is that's what I really badly want to do. I I want to relax and lean into retirement and see couples and in workshops and have groups, and I just want to see more people, but I want to convince it so that I have more time for me. And I know I have your support in that, don't I? Okay, well, I don't know where my guest is, but I am certainly thinking that he uh, will be on in just a few minutes. You know, we as clinicians can't always guarantee that we're going to be available um, right at the the time and the date that we're supposed to appear. So uh, this is an interesting guy because I think he's going to move to Indianapolis. And if I end up, if I end up doing my thing, then what I know to be true is that I can pass on my clients to him. Won't that be amazing, right? So I'm just going to send him a little email that says, come on to the podcast. I'm waiting. (laughs) And hopefully he's not having any trouble. Now, if you are an addict who does not have anybody in your life, it's a lot harder for you to practice the skills that you need to make your life happen. Right? And yet, being single is really probably one of the freeing, most freeing opportunities to work on you. I mean, maybe you're single and you've got kids, so you have them every other week, but maybe you're single and you don't. Maybe you're single and young and you haven't even gotten married yet. Maybe you're single like me who didn't marry until she was 42, maybe? Um, and that's plenty of time to do your reading and meditating and journaling. Is it not? I mean, it absolutely is. So, I just realized I forgot to record this, so I'm going to do my best to record Recording in progress. There we go. I'm going to do my best to help you to learn what you need to do to heal. So if you're an addict, I want you to connect. I want you to get with other people who have the same issues so that you can all help each other and that you're not alone, right? That's what I want for you. And I want you to find a a sponsor or a mentor that can help you through this process. That is really important. It is so important for you to be able to Have people that are in good recovery show you how they did it. And then I want you to be able to read whatever literature is available to you that supports the group that you're in. You know, uh, Every Man Battle has its own book. The Seven Pillars has its own book. We all know that Sex Addicts Anonymous has the green book. Sexaholics Anonymous has the white book. But do read the book and go through the steps. Go through the work. Okay. So I can see what is going on with Aaron. He can't get in. It says that he has a different meeting. 
So I'm going to work on that right now as we speak. And what I believe to be true is that, wow, I know that we can make this work together. You know, if you do support, um, if you do support your own recovery by, if you will, figuring out a way to be around people that know what this all is like, I have, you will just do amazing work. Uh, and you won't do it alone. And you won't reinvent the wheel. It is so hard when you have to reinvent the wheel. Okay. So the truth of the matter is you want to make it easier on yourself because this is hard stuff and you know it, right? Okay. Let me make sure I've given him the right number. He's coming on in three minutes. I don't know what the heck is going on, but... Zoom? Well, no, it wasn't Zoom today. It was FaceTime. I couldn't FaceTime my clients. <laughs> it just rang and rang and rang, and they were waiting there for me. And then I said, well, you called me, and we had to do it the old-fashioned way, which we had to do Zoom. <laughs> A lot of people like FaceTime because they're actually calling from their phones, and it makes it easier for them. Okay, what are the other five tools that you need to practice? You need to go to a CSAT a certified sexually, a sexual addictive therapist, and you need to, um, you need to get into a sex addiction group. That can be so helpful. And what else do you do? You pray, meditate, or journal. Something that holds you introspectively. And then after that, you read about the brain. You read about your sexual addiction because that brain is what's causing this problem. It's not your genitals. It's your brain. And last but not least, you, you do accountability, right? You absolutely find tools that help you, whether that's polygraphs, GPSs, covenant eyes. Don't do it alone. You don't need to. All right. So those are the 10 tools. And now we will talk to Aaron and we'll get to find out what he has to say in his world. Okay. So I'm so happy that we figured out a way to make this work because I'm so interested in attachment theory and EMDR and how do you target that and so, Erin Temple, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Can you hear me okay? Perfect, perfect. All right. Well, so, you know, you are a CSAT who has gotten a specialization with EMDR where you actually focus on the attachment ruptures. And I want you to explain to our listening audience a little bit about that. How'd you get into this sure. work, Aaron? Um, so how I got into the EMDR world um, is, you know, it's interesting because they're kind of, I don't say one of the same, but I was working on my CSAT when I began doing EMDR training. Um, EMDR has always been um, something I was interested in, um, but timing mm -hmm. was not something I could, you know, pull off. And then the pandemic happened, so I was really thinking, well, I'm probably not going to do any training on this because of, you know, uh, the nature of, I want to be able to do EMDR in person, and I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. Um, and then I came across uh, a colleague talked to me about um, this EMDR training that was known as attachment-focused EMDR through the Parnell Institute. And I knew nothing about it, but just the title alone, like, really piqued my interest um, because of the 
amount of just attachment wounding and, you know, most people who are struggling with sex addiction and even betrayal trauma, there's attachment wounds and attachment and relational trauma. So I'm like, well, what better modality or what better focus than attachment focus to treat this? Um, so I did the training all virtually, um, and it was it was mind-blowing, and that was about a year ago now. Um, so it's that's kind of what got me into uh, the EMDR world and as far as a CSAT goes. So it was this colleague that exposed you to that. And, you know, I am an EMDR therapist also, so I get, you know, how we have to target a, a certain area. Tell me a little bit about what you learned from Laura Parnell. How did she help you to do this in a different way than we've been learned for regular EMDR? Yeah, so it was, you know, in Laurel's training, she's very much um, honoring of Francine Shapiro and the standard protocol and kind of understanding the foundations and the roots. Um, and the deviation, or I don't know if you want to call it a deviation or the addition of um, other procedures or protocols, I don't think it's too different than I would assume most EMDR practitioners um, already operate. The main differences, um, or the main thing I learned, rather, is the use of um, utilizing resources um, through an intervention um, Laurel Parnell created um, that she titles Resource Tapping, um, seen in like her, there's a book called Tapping In, but there's also other resources she's kind of created about this, um, where without kind of going into, you know, too much of a lecture here, um, that we utilize the bilateral stimulation that EMDR uses um, but kind of through a tactile, so it's through little tapping, like tapping on your body with your hands, kind of alternating rhythmic, um, while using some um, kind of guided imagery and focus on certain figures. Um, so the core four figures that I'm trained to utilize are peaceful place, wise figure, nurturing figure, and protective figure. So essentially we're focusing while we're tapping, focusing on those qualities, a place that has peace or represents peace, a figure, um, whether real or imaginary, um, animal, some sort of being that has a nurturing quality, a and then another one for a protective quality, and another one for a wise quality. And really what we're doing there is really multifaceted. But one, I notice, especially in my work with, with sex addicts primarily, is when I hear their attachment stories or their trauma stories, their attachment trauma, they're missing one of those pieces, right, um, whether it's nurturing or wisdom or peace. So by doing this, you're sort of creating that foundational um, neural pathway for them. Um, and... So that's the core of it. Um, it also really is a good predictor of just how well they can engage in the EMDR since you're sort of doing, you know, the bilateral stimulation piece, just focusing on a more positive or adaptive experience rather than a traumatic memory or a symptom, so to speak. And that's been really instrumental, I think, in my work um, with, with uh, sox addicts, um, is because it provides, like I said, that neural uh, network layer, but also is just a great coping skill, right? It's a nice way yep. to help them relax, to help move them through triggers. Yeah, it is so interesting that obviously attachment issues run so very deeply. And what mm -hmm. I hear you saying is he's taught you – a protocol that helps them to access those four parts that they actually have inside themselves but maybe have not been able to utilize because it was never nurtured or cultivated. Um, would you go over those four types again? 
Absolutely. And how you put it is is exactly what we're doing, right? These are a part of us, but they just weren't accessed or nurtured or through trauma itself, you know, it just never was able to get vitalized. So uh, the so the four core ones. So when I say the four core, I mean before I do EMDR with any of my clients, I want them to be able to resource with these four resources. Um, that certainly is not the limit, right? You can be very creative, which is also something I really like about this, is you can be very creative in other resources, um, which I can talk about later. Um, so peaceful places, the, usually I find most people can do pretty easily, right? It's just imagining a place that has peaceful qualities, whether they've been there before, whether it really exists, just something that they can connect to in a powerful way. Um, so being on a mountaintop, being on the beach, uh, looking at, you know, into the stars on a night, you know, something like that. Um, and, again, you just kind of incorporate the BLS and that they can go from there. Um, mm-hmm. The next was um, nurturing. So, and this is the probably the hardest one. So I work with primarily sex addicts, primarily male sex addicts, and I find this one is probably the harder one for them, uh, even just understanding what nurturing means in this context, so which already tells me a lot, right? It tells me that there's this missing nurturing piece. Um, but again, the idea is just to imagine a figure, so real or imaginary, deceased, never met before, animal, religious figure, mythological figure that just represents nurturing. Um, and Nurturing in a safe way. I never want my clients to pick someone or a figure that could be problematic for them, right? If their mother is maybe a part of their trauma stories, I wouldn't want them to pick their mother as, an, as a um, nurturing figure in this. Um, and the same kind of protocol goes for the other two, just picking someone um, real or imaginary that has protective qualities. Um, and I find protection is really interesting, too, whether we're thinking protective as in, like, a turtle, like defensiveness. So uh, a turtle can be defensive, right, or protective of itself. Or I use this example as, like, a mama bear, right, defensive in a very, you know, kind of uh, offensive way, you know, repelling kind of way. So both either or work great to make, I think, someone feel kind of that sense of protection that some figure is willing to shield me or push a threat away. Um, and then wise figure, someone, again, that represents wisdom or has wise qualities. And, again, the goal is to just activate those um, those kind of resources within themselves, but also – you know, with, with with working with sexual addiction, there's so much shame, right, both from the acting out itself and also how we, they got there. And shame typically robs – it's hard to be creative or joyful when shame is present. And I find the activity of even identifying figures as creative and, it's like, almost fun. It's lighthearted. It just accesses a different part of the brain than these heavy – you know, um, topics or shame-based topics. So not only do I think it activates these systems, it allows them to just access a different part of their mind or brain they typically wouldn't access because of that shame. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And so now I know how these trainings go because I've had to do them too. And, And typically we have to do our own work because we all can relate to some part of the work that we're learning, right? So just for our listening mm-hmm. audience, if you don't mind, can you share with them who did you access out of the four? Sure. So, yeah, you're exactly right. We had a, you know, the, the training was very much you learn it, you watch it happen, and then you do it, have it done to you, and you watch it, other participants do it. So I did a lot of EMDR over those three days, Um so, yeah, so, for example, some of my figures I used and continue to use even now if I'm just struggling with anxiety or I can't sleep. Um, so my peaceful place is um, my childhood home. Um, we lived in a um, 
lived in a woods. So it's just me walking out there in the woods. And it's something that I can just very um, sensory-based get into the smells, the sounds. So it's a very deep uh, experience for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, my nurture, so we tip, the more that you identify the better that way you're more access. So I did a few for each. Um, so my nurturers, they've shifted over time, but my grandmother was one of them. Um, my dog was one of them. Um, so you, again, you can kind of be, I like the creativity side of it. Uh, my protectors were a couple friends of mine and, you know, for various reasons, one was more for strength. One was more for almost like, I can get you out of any situation sort of, you know, feeling. So there's that protection of I can be safe with this person. Um, And then wisdom was, I believe it's been a minute, wisdom was my wife and Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. So I kind of had a little spread of people in my life, animals, as well as, you know, fictional characters. Um, And it really... It, I mean, it really was a nice experience to do that before the processing itself, as well as just to utilize it, you know, for anxiety, for, you know, stress. I did some tapping before this podcast today. So, you know, it's just it's a helpful kind of uh, regulator. Yeah, it's a regulator and it resources and grounds you. And one of the things that I know is whenever we um, make conscious a resource for whatever we're dealing with, fear, anxiety, sadness, grief, anger, Mm -hmm. we will end up proceeding with much more confidence and regularity. Um, and, And so you did some tapping, you got in touch with your resource, and you came on the show much more confidently as a result. And isn't it interesting that EMDR is like that? There are some very simplistic things that people can do, even at home. I mean, Francine Shapiro, I mean, she wrote Getting Past Your Past for clients to learn these techniques to feel better about their trauma, their emotion dysregulation, and their life in general. Um, So you are trained in this very specialized um, field, and yet they can go to that book and get some resources that would help to ground them before they got to you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you call this AF-EMDR. So it's attachment-focused EMDR. And it really is for individuals struggling with sexual addiction or betrayal trauma. Tell me how a partner might use AF-EMDR to better his or her life. Sure. So I will say this is mostly through, so again, my my experience is mainly with addicts. I'm trained to work with partners. I just think through just the nature of who comes to see me individually, it's mainly them. However, I, you know, I have my colleague who referred me works with partners and collaborating with her and also just kind of doing my own research around this, I can see how it could be beneficial um, for partners specifically. So I think one of the ways is um, really, again, creating this sense of, of safety um, for, for them um, through the resourcing and through the EMDR itself, especially after discovery. So when things can be so emotionally charged and overwhelming and feeling chaotic and all of that, you know, emotional internal experience, and, you know, rightfully so, it provides, I think, this stabilization, this touch point of just being able to regulate um, and starting to move through that healing process, whether with or without the betraying 
you know, partner. Um, and again, those resource figures, just bringing that to the forefront um, really can be beneficial there. Um, your comment on confidence is really important because when you think of attachment wounding, right, when our attachments are, are damaged or ruptured and there's not that repair, there isn't this, well, I'm not going to go outside, I'm not going to push myself, I'm not going to put myself at risk because I don't feel emotionally safe. So if I can feel that safety, then I can feel confident to try new things, to kind of leave the home base, so to speak, a little bit further in kind of an emotional way. So that EMDR or even just that resourcing can be really powerful, just providing that confidence and a little bit of that security place. Um, and I've really seen it in when I do disclosures um, when I – and the partner will even share in the disclosure, like, yeah, like EMDR helped me get to this place where I can be here and bear witness to this, right? It doesn't change that it's, it can be very emotional and challenging to hear, but just because they have that confidence, they've got that security um, emotionally from their either their trauma work or even just the resourcing – um, has been so really powerful just for me to see kind of as the uh, the other therapist um, and just seeing how that affects, you know, I think allows them to also access their own recovery, um, you know, more quickly as well. Um, and, you know, we all, I guess we all have our own stories and a lot of partners also have attached wounds prior to this relationship right, whether it's previous relationships or from their family of origin. So, again, that work could also really help in just their overall healing. Got it, got it, got it. So let me ask you something. Um, do you see this attachment-focused EMDR being better for the addict or for the partner, or does it matter? really don't think it matters, right? Because, you know, again, the the core of what we're targeting is this attachment wounding, right, this feeling of emotional unsafety and even physical unsafety at times. And I think it could work for, I, I don't think one is, it's better suited for one over the other, Um and that's just sort of my experience and also just my theory of it is really at the end of the day, what I'm trying to provide for my clients is I'm holding a safe space with them. They could come see me for nothing related to sexual addiction. And I think, you know, attachment focus EMDR may be appropriate depending on kind of what they're wanting to work on, um, which is one reason I like it. it. It's more, it can be very specialized in, in specific working on one issue, but it could also be more generalized, you know, because we all have those stories. We all have those rupture repair wounds to some extent, whether it's, you know, a small, you know, not to minimize, but like we think of little T trauma versus capital T trauma, you know, those chronic shamings versus a one single incident um, that may be totally unrelated to acting out. It, it still kind of accesses that, like, that, that sense of safety and self-confidence and the beliefs that we then reform or challenge or change to be more adaptive for those people. Um, so I don't think that, you know, and again, I will also totally say, you know, I know what I don't know is, you know, I know I'm early in the or the practicing of this, but in my experience, no, I don't think one is more beneficial than the other. Okay, very good. Now, let's just one more time for anybody who got here late or who didn't understand and now it's becoming clearer because it sounds so technical, but it is not necessarily technical. Yes, you have to be trained as a professional, but for the client, what can they expect? They walk into the office with an AF EMDR therapist, and what happens next? So what happens next is 
you know, it, it, sort of, at least from my experience, it depends on kind of what they're looking for. If they come in saying, hey, I, I saw you, I want to do EMDR specifically, the ground running. If they're just coming and saying, hey, I am experiencing this distress, I'm engaging in behaviors I don't want to engage in, I don't know what to do, I still bring it up. I like to be very honest with my clients. Like, this is what's in my toolbox. You don't have to use it. I think you should be aware, but this is not the only way to engage in this healing. And that's part of, I think, the attachment-focused EMDR already is it's so client-centered, right? I am the navigator. They are the captain, right? I can show them routes on how to get where they want to go. Um, it's up to them to decide that they want to go there or not. So so much of the initial work, and I would imagine this is how we most clinicians are at this point, right, being client-centered, making the clients feel safe, having a good therapeutic relationship, because that is, right, attachment healing in itself. Um, so that's kind of the more generalist kind of answer, but to get into, like, what do the next steps look like, it is a little formulaic, yeah. which is, I think, nice, right? It can help because even as I learned about all this, I'm like, oh, this is overwhelming. I don't understand it until I go through it. So, but it's, it's pretty straightforward, which is really, I think, helpful for, for anyone, you know, wanting to do this is just like anything else. What do you want to get out of this, right? What symptoms do you have, right? Whether it's negative beliefs, intrusive thoughts, unwanted behaviors, somatic pain, right, whatever. That's what I think is great about this, too. It doesn't have to be, like, if it's not a PTSD symptom, I can't do it, right? It can be very varying. Um, so just it gives those people the freedom to choose. I want it for this reason. Great. And then we just build a roadmap together. Like, what, what memories do you think are associated with that? And it's okay if you don't know any. Right? That's the beauty of this too. Your brain does the work. You don't have you're it's not you consciously doing the work. So we kind of build a roadmap of maybe memories that are at least connected to those symptoms or just emotionally charged memories that may be totally unassociated, right? Um and yeah, through that say, we Aaron, go ahead. can I ask you to give them an idea of a memory that is linked or attached and then a memory that might mm -hmm. be unrelated. Sure. Um, so let's say the let's say the um, let's say the symptom that they're kind of thinking. You know, like, listen, like I let's just think from the sex addiction spectrum, right? I uh, I you know I have intrusive uh, or let me back up just a really core negative belief, right? I'm not good enough, right? I hate myself, something like right. that. And they they can maybe tie it to, you know, I heard that from my father, right? I remember this memory of, you know, um, I struck out at t-ball or, or, or I struck out at baseball or what have you, and my dad just literally just, like, yelled at me and just told me I'm not good enough, right? That's a very concrete, like, yes, you can make that connection. The literal phrase is the literal belief. That's very much connected. Um, so that might be, like, great. We will consider that as a memory to target and process. Um, same belief, right? I'm not good enough. Um, an, uh, uh, a memory that may not be connected at all. Right, or maybe not on the surface, is um, maybe there was this experience of not being chosen for an activity and, you know, or chosen last in like a team activity, right? So again, maybe not overtly related, but there's that sense of like, well, I'm not good enough to be chosen here. And let's say that memory kind of leads into, well, not only was I not chosen for that activity, I also didn't play that well at the activity because I already felt kind of bad about myself, which then further reinforced that belief, right? And then I got home and then, you know, I didn't finish my homework in time, right? So it's this kind of just chained experience, but it's conceptualized with that one memory as I wasn't picked for this team event. And you would argue we've all 
maybe had that experience right now, but for some reason that's the charged one. That one got stuck. That one um, is where your brain went to, and that's okay. There's not a right or a wrong answer here. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, what would you advise for the average sex addict or partner who's doing good work mm-hmm. and they are, you know, he's doing his recovery, she's working on herself, and yet they recognize that there's a fear of reattaching because of the trauma that has occurred for her she's afraid to trust again. I mean, it really was a significant relational trauma and it was a rupture. And for him, he's afraid he won't do it well enough. And so he is not um, as confident as he would like to be in, in reestablishing that bond. Are there therapeutic resources with AF-EMDR um, that our listeners would have access to? Absolutely. So, the, again, what I really like about this is you can be so creative. I simply just leave it up to uh, my clients. What do you need, right? I don't I – I, I want to be able to trust I'm afraid to. Okay, so you're wanting confidence or maybe they're wanting faith or they're wanting, you know, um, reassurance, whatever – that need, that resource is, and then you ask, well, who could give that to you? What's, is there a figure you can think of that would represent faith, that would represent uh, reassurance or confidence, right, or resiliency, right? There's this creativity, and then that becomes a resource to tap into um, for them, but also I think could also be a, a nice target for EMDR. Um, so I think people on their own can do the resourcing kind of what they need, but even in the therapeutic session or the therapy session itself is processing the betrayal, right? For both people, right? For both the partner and for the, for the addict, because it, you know, it can blunt the edges of the shame for the addict and then maybe blunt the edges of the, you know, the betrayal for the betrayed partner. Again, not, not to write it off and make it neutral altogether, but just make it, less emotionally charged so they can engage in the, their life as they want to. So within the marriage, can they securely get into that? That makes so much sense. Now, you know, I know that you currently work in a group private practice in Annapolis, Maryland, and this is your expertise, sex addiction, partner betrayal, unwanted pornography, and trauma resolution. Now, how can people get a hold of you if they're in that area and they like some of this AF-EMDR? Sure. So I am currently, uh, my private pra- or the private practice I work for, rather, is Rogue River Counseling. Um, you can look us up um, online um, at rogueriverencounseling.com. We've got um, a few other therapists that are um, trained in uh, AF EMDR as well as going through the training. So it's just kind of we're moving towards utilizing that more. Um, I can be directly reached um, at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N-T, as in Thomas, at RogueRiverCounseling.com. Um, however, I guess that all of our therapists are great, um, so utilizing them on their on our website is something that uh, people can do as well. Oh, great. And if they have questions, they could probably email you personally at temple, T-M-P-E-L-A-A-R-O-N, Aaron, at gmail.com, correct? Correct. Okay, well, you know, Erin, it was so delightful to meet you in May, and I'm so sorry that it was rainy and you didn't get to do a boat ride, you and your lovely wife. Um, but I am so looking forward to the work that you're doing and, and because, you know, it's not just about treating addiction and betrayal. It's about finding the resources 
to make it easier for our clients. And you are very devoted to this field. So thank you so much. No, thank you. No, it was lovely to, to be here. It was lovely to meet you regardless of the rain. And um, I just really okay. thank you for having me here. Okay. Well, you take care of yourself, and um, you've definitely perked my interest. I'll look for one of Lauren, uh, Laurel's uh, attachment-focused EMDR trainings because – that's what I do is I really work hard at attaching people. I was just telling our listening audience, I'm going to be done with my book this week on Help Them Heal, which teaches the couple how to do some of these exercises to go through the work of relational repair. So what you talked about today is right up my alley, and I just thank you so much. You make it a good week. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. Bye. So, again, that was Aaron Temple, who's a CSAT, who believes that attachment-focused EMDR really does increase the effectiveness of treatment for both sex addiction and partner betrayal. You know, it's kind of like what I said. I'm creating something because I know it works. Laurel is an amazing EMDR therapist, and she's just all over the world sharing the stuff that she has found to be successful. So make sure to find a specialist, would you? You've got to find a specialist who can treat the issues that you're experiencing. And as I say at the end of every show, you know, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly. Have the courage to be yourself. We'll see you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach.